This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. The Humanist Report podcast is funded by viewers like you through Patreon and PayPal. To support the show, visit patreon.com forward slash humanist report or become a member at humanistreport.com. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Humanist Report Podcast. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 206th edition of the program. Today is Friday, August 16th, and before we get started, I want to take some time to thank all of our newest Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube members, all of which signed up for the first time to support us this week or increased their monthly pledge. And that includes Adam Hayes, Artemis Good, Aya Brindley, Elias Odelstad, Gothic One, Iris Pina Chavez, Jack Anderson, Joel Carver, Kristen Seashore, Lance Sparks, Mark Perez, Melissa Mazoros, Patrick Nemec, Peach Lovrify, Raul Vanderkekov, Shadow Sly Ganada, Sean, Sean Guys, Cheryl McDonald, and The Progressive Voice. So thank you so much to all of these kind individuals. If you'd also like to support the show, you can do so by going to humanistreport.com slash support or by checking out patreon.com forward slash humanistreport. So today on the Humanist Report podcast, we'll talk about the Trumps of the world, starting with our very own and how President Trump plans to crack down on the internet with a new pro-censorship executive order. He's also terrorizing immigrants across the country using the American Gestapo, otherwise known as ICE. We'll talk about India's Narendra Modi and his authoritarian crackdown over Kashmir, and how the Trump of the tropics, Jair Bolsonaro, is destroying the planet's lungs. Additionally, CNN compares Bernie Sanders to Donald Trump. We'll also discuss their ongoing bias against Bernie Sanders. We'll talk about Fox News' attempt to portray Bernie Sanders as a crazy person, Dan Bongino's attack on Bernie Sanders, Jeffrey Epstein's death, Tom Steyer's presidential campaign, and Andrew Yang's heartfelt moment that I really think we all need to watch. So that's what we've got on the agenda for today's show. Hopefully you guys will enjoy the episode. Let's go ahead and dive right in. So there's this persistent myth that has been perpetuated by conservatives that they are being disproportionately targeted by social media giants because of their political orientation. So if you're a conservative, you are more likely to see censorship by Facebook or YouTube than, you know, if you were a leftist. Now, as a leftist, as someone who knows pretty much everyone in indie media on the left, this is something that affects everyone, right? And of course, we have to do something about the power that these tech giants have. But the reason why there's this myth that this only affects conservatives is because conservative lawmakers like Ted Cruz, for example, draw attention you know, to the issue whenever Steven Crowder is demonetized, for example, or, you know, whenever Diamond and Silk are victims of perceived censorship, Republicans will speak out about this. So they're kind of perpetuating this myth, and even Donald Trump is now falling for it, and he's spoken out about this before, too, that he thinks there is a conservative bias, or a bias against conservatives, to be specific. So now he's planning to take action. He wants to do something about it. And what he's choosing to do is absolutely, unquestionably the wrong thing. It's the opposite of what he should be doing. Because according to a uh, leaked draft of an executive order, he's planning to address this 
by giving government the power to censor the internet. And who he wants to empower to do this is probably the worst part of the story because he wants to empower the FTC and the FCC. Now, for those of you who don't remember, the chair of the FCC currently is Ajit Pai, who is no friend to the internet, who led the charge to repeal net neutrality, which makes the internet less open. Now, that case is currently pending litigation. But now, Donald Trump may very well sign an executive order that allows Ajit Pai to do something about perceived bias against conservatives and fight for the future, which is basically the leading organization who is fighting to keep the internet free and open, sounded the alarm about this, saying the White House just leaked a draft executive order that would give the government the power to censor the internet. We have to stop it before it's too late. And they then linked to an article, which I will share in the description box, which basically summarizes the situation and, you know, explains what I just told you about how Trump wants to put the FTC and FCC in charge of monitoring and policing online speech on social media platforms. Now, this obviously violates the First Amendment because the government cannot control or dictate the speech of private companies. And furthermore, I don't want anyone to be able to censor or monitor the internet, not leftists, not right-wingers, Nobody. But if there was anyone I trust the least with this job, it's Ajit Pai. So this could be absolutely devastating. It could set a really bad precedent. And I don't want to see future administrations, Republican or Democratic, censor the internet and have the power to shut down speech online that they don't like. Now, for more details on this, we go to John Keeley of Common Dreams, who reports civil liberties groups are warning of a major threat to online freedom and First Amendment rights if a leaked draft of a Trump administration edict dubbed by critics as a censor the internet executive order that would give powerful federal agencies far-reaching powers to pick and choose which kind of internet material is and is not acceptable is allowed to go into effect. According to CNN, which obtained a copy of the draft, the new rule calls for the FCC to develop new regulations clarifying how and when the law protects social media websites when they decide to remove or suppress content on their platforms. Although still in its early stages and subject to change, the Trump administration's draft order also calls for the Federal Trade Commission to take those new policies into account when it investigates or files lawsuits against misbehaving companies. While Politico was the first to report how the draft was being circulated by the White House, CNN notes that if put into effect, the order would reflect a significant escalation by President Trump in his frequent attacks against social media companies over an alleged but unproven systemic bias against conservatives by technology platforms, and it could lead to a significant reinterpretation of a law that its authors have insisted was meant to give tech companies broad freedom to handle content as they see fit. So this is really bad. And look, everyone who is against this, who's speaking out against this, we all acknowledge that these social media and tech giants, they absolutely have too much power. They need to be broken up. But you see, this is not the correct course of action. This is not what we should be doing. We should be using our antitrust laws. But instead, Donald Trump, what does he do? Just instinctually, he opts for censorship. That's what he wants.
Now, I think Fight for the Future put it best. They said, look, we're also concerned about the growing power that mega platforms like Facebook and Twitter have to control online speech. But this draft executive order would make that situation so much worse by opening a Pandora's box of government censorship. Now, Pen America correctly pointed out that this move is forbidden by the First Amendment. I think that's pretty much obvious, which means that if he does sign this executive order, then theoretically speaking, it should be overturned. The problem, however, is that Donald Trump has stacked the judiciary. So even if this is brazenly unconstitutional, that doesn't necessarily mean that it will be overturned. I mean, I hope it's overturned because you can't have something like this that's that unconstitutional because when Democrats take power, if you're a Republican, you're going to want to make sure that you stop this type of thing and you set the correct precedent and follow the Constitution. But who knows at this point? Who knows at this point? And look, the sad news is that nobody really knows about this. Nobody's really talking about this because the media has not reported on it. So look, Everyone is pretty much in agreement that these tech giants have too much power, but so long as they are private companies, you cannot censor them. This is unconstitutional. If you want to control what they do, then you need to nationalize them. And what I would like to see ideally is that they are nationalized and you have a set of standards that are actually applied universally and universally. Or also we break them up, right? You can't have this much power because when so much of democracy is carried out online when it's basically the new public sphere you can't allow these mega corporations to control that much speech but the solution that should be proposed is not to allow the ftc and fcc and goons like ajit pai to censor what they don't like i mean this is absurd so i hope that more people will speak out about this and i hope that they're able to disaggregate the issue that you know this is a problem. You know, you shouldn't have this much power in a democracy if you're a tech giant. But simultaneously, this isn't the correct solution to that problem. A different solution needs to be applied. Now, I know Donald Trump ain't a socialist, so he's not going to talk about nationalization. But at a minimum, break them up. Use antitrust laws. Your president, you can set the agenda on this. But instead, he's an authoritarian. So instinctually, he just opts for censorship, which isn't surprising, but it's still troubling nonetheless. Last week in six Mississippi cities, there were ice raids that took place at seven different food processing plants, which led to nearly 700 undocumented immigrants being detained. Now, this ended up being the largest raid in the span of a day in United States history. Please, can I just see my mother, please? Parents taken away on buses, separated from their children. Her mom is the only one she has. That's her guardian. In immigration raids across Mississippi on Wednesday. I need my dad for me. <laughs> my dad didn't do nothing. He's not a criminal. Many children left behind at schools and daycares. One gym in a nearby town offering to house and feed children who were separated from their parents. I understand the law and how everything works, but and everything has a system, but everybody needs to hold the kids first and foremost in their mind. Today, anxious family members are trying to locate their loved ones who were arrested. There's a website that they were, we were told that they, we could find anyone that's been processed and detained. I haven't been found a single person. One woman telling CNN her husband, who has a heart condition, was arrested, leaving her and their five-year-old son with no one to help them. He asks me for his dad, where he is, and I tell him he's not here. I told him they took him, and he starts to cry because he needs him. 
A total of 680 detentions at seven food processing plants across six cities in Mississippi. Officials calling it the largest single state immigration enforcement operation ever in the U.S. While we are a nation of immigrants, more than that, we are first and foremost a nation of laws. The raids on the heels of the El Paso shooting where Latinos were purposely targeted also came on the first day of school for those children. An ICE official telling CNN they did consider the impact on children and worked with school administrators, adding, quote, this was planned for months, well before El Paso. We did this under past presidents. This is business as usual for us. <laughs> Some detainees released overnight with ankle monitors like this. As White House officials tell CNN, ICE is scrambling to reunite some parents with their children because of child care issues, many of whom were placed with volunteers and strangers. How do you watch that and not come away moved and just shaken to the core? That little girl in particular, she really stood out to me because, I mean, you just see pain and suffering that's so unnecessary. People who are here the, what, 11 to 12 million people who are undocumented, they work, they pay taxes, they put more into the economy than they take. Why are they not citizens? Make them citizens. That's the easy solution. Not amnesty, not a path to citizenship. Grant them immediate citizenship. Because far, as far as I'm concerned, these are Americans. They're already Americans. They're here. They're working. They're contributing to society. Their children, you know, go to our schools. Why are we treating them like this? These are human beings. These are human beings. And as human beings, we imagined these borders and said, you can't be in this border unless you do X, Y, and Z and follow the procedure. And even if you want to follow the procedure, we have a broken immigration system. Just end this ridiculousness. Make them citizens, all of them, all of them, and do that while simultaneously reforming our broken immigrant system. So that way, if somebody wants to move here, they don't have to break the law. There's a way that they can get a green card and become a citizen eventually. But because our system is so broken, this is what happens. Because we break the homes of undocumented immigrants, we ruin Honduras and El Salvador. This is what happens. So... The solution is simple. Make them citizens and stop with the madness. How can you not see what's happening? How can you not see these raids and not think that this is very similar to what happened in Germany? This is like the American equivalent of the Gestapo. It's disgusting and it's cruel. And I don't know how anyone can defend this after they see all of the pain and suffering it caused. I don't care how hard line of a stance you take on immigration. If that doesn't move you, if that little girl's tears doesn't do something, doesn't tug on your emotions, there's something fundamentally wrong with you as a human being. Something isn't working in your brain if you don't find her story poignant, if you don't feel nauseated by seeing how cruel and unjustly we are treating these undocumented Americans. It's just, it makes me so angry that this is happening. Now, the most disgusting part is that the acting ICE chief of Mississippi, Matthew Albans, defended these raids. Here's what he had to say. You can tell that he probably didn't really believe the words that were coming out of his mouth, but nonetheless, this is how he defends himself. You've seen this video. I have, yes, you have.
What would you tell that little girl? Well, I don't think I would speak to the little girl. I would speak to the parents, and I would speak to the community at large. Look, I'm a parent. Most of our officers and agents are parents. Some of the most difficult things that we have to do in our jobs to enforce the laws involve the separation of parents from children. Every law enforcement officer has to deal with that at some point in their career. Many officers, on a daily basis, when an officer goes in to arrest somebody for a crime of domestic violence, one of those, the children in there is going to be crying. We conduct our operations with professionalism, with compassion, and with humanity, and we try our best to minimize the impact on the innocent people of this, uh, of this situation. However, we have to enforce the law. Every law enforcement agency enforces the law against individuals who have broken it. The parents or the individuals that are breaking the law are ultimately the ones that are responsible for placing their children in this situation. I'm sure that that's what he tells himself so that way he can sleep at night. Because I know that if I were in his position, I would have to lie to myself. There would have to be some type of psychological barrier that shielded me from the pain and suffering that I was inflicting on innocent people. But they broke the law. Right. Well, just because something is illegal doesn't necessarily mean that by definition it's immoral. They're breaking the law because they believe in America. And to just say, well, you know, they're the ones who broke the law, so they're responsible, not me. I'm sure that the Nazis said the same thing. Well, you know, I'm not responsible. I'm just following the law. Slavery was legal before. I'm sure that the slave owners told themselves the same thing. This is the law, so, you know, I can own slaves, so it's fine. Just because something is stated in the law doesn't mean that that's going to translate into morality. It's not. The law is not a good gauge of morality. If anything, you know, if you follow history, it's been the opposite. So this is nothing but cruelty. And it's just, he had the audacity to say that we conduct our operations with professionalism, with compassion, and with humanity. And we tried our best to minimize the impact. Nope. Don't believe you. Don't believe you. And it's not like this is the only instance of cruelty from ICE because our entire immigration structure currently is built around being overly cruel because this is what we view as, you know, something that will deter other immigrants from coming. This is what Bush thought. This is what Obama thought. And now this is what Trump thought. It just keeps getting worse. You know, we're seeing it at its logical conclusion here. If you keep trying to be cruel just for cruelty's sake because you think that's what's going to deter immigrants, then eventually it's going to get to, you know, the point where we have a fascistic apparatus like ICE that's rounding up immigrants and breaking up families. So I don't know how anyone can defend this. And, you know, speaking of ICE cruelty, there was a man who was an American. He was brought here from the age of six months old but um, he was deported by ICE, and they refused to listen to his story. Listen to what he has to say, because this, honestly, like, watching this story from this poor individual, it made me feel sick to my stomach. Sir, what are you doing here? Jimmy L. Dawood, uh, Jimmy L. Dawood, uh, I was uh, deported two and a half weeks ago. Speak up, please. I was, uh, <clears throat> I've been in the United States since six months old, you know? And, and just two and a half weeks ago, uh, immigration agent pulled me over and said I'm going to Iraq. And I, 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 I refused. I said I've never been there. I've been in this country my whole life, you know, since pretty much birth. I missed birth by six months. 
And they refused to listen to me. Uh, there was an agent Kamaj. The Department of Homeland Security is located on 333 Mont Elliott, Detroit, Michigan, 48207. Agent Kamaj, I'm not sure about the other one, if his, if his, if his name is Deeps or what his name is, but they just wouldn't listen to me. They wouldn't let me call my family, nothing. They just said, you're going to Iraq, and your best bet is to cooperate with us. That way, we're not going to chain you up or we'll put you on our commercial flight. I begged them. I said, please, I've never seen that country. I've never been there. However, they forced me. I'm here now. And, and I don't understand the language, anything. I've been sleeping in the street. I'm diabetic. I take insulin shots. I've been throwing up, throwing up, sleeping in the street, trying to find something to eat. You know, I got nothing over here, as you can see. I was kicked in the back a couple days ago, claiming to uh, get off the guy's property. I was sleeping on the ground. He claimed it's his property. You know, I, I begged him. I said, please, sir, I've never seen this country. I, I, I don't understand language. That man's name is Jimmy Aldaud, and he died. Presumably because he was not able to get insulin. But I mean, he was here illegally. He was breaking the law, right? So I guess he deserved it. I guess he deserved to be deported to a country that he was completely unfamiliar with, that was foreign to him, because he was here illegally. Being a citizen dictates whether or not you deserve to live or die, in some instances, according to ICE. But hey, they're just following orders, right? They're just following orders. They're just, you know, he was illegal, so he had to be deported to Iraq, even though he hasn't been there since he was a baby. Uh, I'm not sure what most of us were doing when we were six months old, but um, I was not in control of my actions. So this is what ICE does. ICE is cruel. ICE is terrorizing non-citizen Americans, and it's just morally reprehensible in anyone who defends this or tries to justify it i just don't have respect for you i'm sorry this is grotesque this is indefensible and it's immoral and if we're going to claim to be a country of immigrants then maybe we should try to live by that virtue and actually treat them like the human beings that they are and just stop with the nonsense grant them citizenship and end the fucking madness once and for all because this is disgusting so internationally speaking, fascism is unquestionably on the rise. And it's just so depressing to see the rise of all of these pseudo-populist right-wing demagogues across the world. You know, we have Donald Trump, obviously, in the United States. We have Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil. And of course, we have Narendra Modi in India. Now, for those of you who don't know much about Narendra Modi, he is basically the India equivalent of Donald Trump. He's very Trumpian, but I would actually argue that he's far worse than Donald Trump because he is explicitly a Hindu nationalist. Like, that is the ideology of his party, BJP. They believe in a Hindu-only state to the exclusion of Muslims. And the rhetoric that he uses has led to increased violence against marginalized communities. So, hate crimes against Muslims, for example, it spiked since Narendra Modi came to power in the same way that that has happened with Donald Trump. Now, what he often does is he fearmongers, like all demagogues do. He fearmongers about Muslims, and he says that they are disrespecting cows, um, and this obviously directly leads to increased violence against Muslims, and it doesn't just affect Muslims, it affects lower caste Hindus as well. So what he does is absolutely morally reprehensible and despicable, but this is exactly what he knows he needs to do to fire up the base. You know, whenever there's an election, Donald Trump talks about caravans that are coming to the country. Um, well, this is basically what 
Narendra Modi does in order to increase his popularity. Well, he um, does things. He uses rhetoric that leads to marginalized communities, Muslims, lower caste Hindus, being harmed. And it's, it's so disgusting to watch because India, it's the biggest democracy in the world. So to see this, to see what he's done, it's despicable. And the thing about Narendra Modi is, if you don't necessarily follow Indian politics, you wouldn't know that he is this bad because he actually is a populist like Donald Trump. He has a very solid and vocal base of support who love everything that he's doing. Hindu nationalism, unfortunately, is somewhat popular because he is the prime minister. His party does promote that. So it's difficult to push back against that. Now, the thing with all of these right-wing demagogues, these fascists that we see across the world, is that even if they exist within democratic systems, even if democracy is what got them to power, the actions that they take are absolutely detrimental to democracy. And for those of you who have been following the news lately, you already know that what Narendra Modi did in Kashmir is absolutely antithetical to democracy. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Indian and Pakistani politics, Kashmir is disputed territory. When you look at this map here, both India and Pakistan claim Kashmir as their own, even China occupies a portion, and India claims that portion of theirs, but what we're really looking at is the territory that's in dispute between Pakistan and India. Now, in the territory that India currently controls, that's what we're going to be looking at for the duration of this story. Now, just looking at this map, it's an absolute mess, but the good news is that there's been relative stability because Kashmir has been able to operate with a degree of autonomy. So even if there's this territorial dispute between India and Pakistan, since they have that autonomy, things have remained relatively peaceful. Until now, when Narendra Modi decided to uh, crack down on the portion of Kashmir that India controls. And as Al Jazeera reports, India's government on Monday said it was scrapping Article 370 of India's constitution that guaranteed special rights to Jammu and Kashmir, including the state's right to its own constitution and decision-making process for all matters except defense, communications, and foreign affairs. It also split the region into two federal territories. The moves came after the Indian government deployed about 10,000 additional troops to the disputed region, followed by the unprecedented order asking tourists and Hindu pilgrims to leave the valley. It also imposed a curfew on parts of the territory, shut down telecommunications, and arrested political leaders. Journalists working for both local and international media have also been affected by the movement restrictions and unavailability of the internet. Local newspapers such as Greater Kashmir, Rising Kashmir, Kashmir Mon Monitor, Kashmir Life and Kashmir Reader have not updated their websites over the past three days, fearing backlash from Indian authorities. This does not sound like democracy to me. This is textbook authoritarianism, and it's so sad to see all of this unfold. Now, the area is now being heavily patrolled by Indian security forces. Um, there's a curfew, as the article stated, nobody can leave. Um, there's been more than 500 people who have been arrested. Now, when it comes to those who have been arrested, Al Jazeera reports 
University professors, business leaders, and activists are among the 560 people rounded up by authorities and taken to makeshift detention centers, some during midnight raids in the cities of Srinagar, Baramula, and Gurez, the Press Trust of India, and the Indian Express reported. Now, here's the thing. If you think that this story isn't important because this is another country and, you know, ostensibly it may not affect you personally, think again. Because India and Pakistan have been at war three different times. And two of the times that they went to war, can you guess what that war was waged over? The disputed territory of Kashmir. And um, let me remind you, these are both nuclear-armed countries. So obviously, this led to an escalation between India and Pakistan. And as Al Jazeera explains, New Delhi's move has heightened tensions with Pakistan, which has expelled the Indian envoy in Islamabad, halted the cross-border train service, and banned Indian films in protest against what it called an illegal move. So this is such a troubling situation, and it's akin to the situation that we see with Israel-Palestine. You know, there's a lockdown on Gaza. It's the world's largest open-air prison. You can't get in or out without Israel say-so in Gaza. It's also similar to the situation that we see in the Western Sahara with the Moroccan government controlling everything about the Western Sahara. They have no autonomy. They're heavily oppressed. So all around this is just incredibly disgusting. And the sad part is that Modi has a relatively large base of support that absolutely loved this move. But unfortunately for Modi, internationally speaking, this does not make him look good. It makes him look absolutely horrible. So even if his base may be fired up because of this, well, he still had to respond to criticism. And this is what he said. This is a clip from CNN. This will make things better for Kashmiris. That, Hala, in a nutshell, was the message from Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi Thursday night, days after his government moved to tighten its grip on Indian-controlled Kashmir. On Monday, Modi's government took away the region's special status under the Indian constitution, thereby stripping it of the power to set many of its own laws. It also downgraded Jammu and Kashmir state, which includes Indian-controlled Kashmir, to a union territory. This means that it will effectively be run directly by New Delhi. Indian states have much more power to direct their internal affairs. Speaking in Hindi, Modi defended all this by claiming that the downgrade was only temporary. He said local elections would be held, quote, soon, and said the changes would bring about development and help end terrorism. He even made a direct appeal to Bollywood, asking filmmakers to consider the mountains and valleys of what is one of the world's most heavily militarized regions as settings for future projects. Here's the thing, even as he spoke to justify these steps, we're still waiting to get a full picture of what ordinary Kashmiris think of all this. The reason? The Modi government has placed the territory under a massive security crackdown. For days, communications have been down and prominent local politicians have been arrested. Now, Kashmir is always on a finely balanced knife edge. The territory is divided between Indian and Pakistani controlled sections. Both countries claim it in its entirety. And Pakistan has been very critical of India's decision. Islamabad has scaled back its diplomatic ties with New Delhi. Pakistan's army has also said it was willing to, quote, go to any extent to fight the new Indian policies. It's all raised the geopolitical temperature here in South Asia, Hala, as people fear that New Delhi's moves could ultimately lead to another confrontation between these two nuclear-armed rivals. So, I mean, what a laughable response 
It's exactly what you would expect from a Trumpian figure. This move isn't bad for Kashmiris. It's actually really good for them. Is that so? I'm sure that they love having this curfew imposed on them. I'm sure that they absolutely love the fact that they're losing their autonomy. But don't worry, he's super merciful because there's going to be an election soon, and it'll all be over soon, guys. I mean, this is absolutely morally reprehensible, it's disgusting, and this is authoritarianism. That's what this is. So, it's gross, and, you know, if we had a competent government that wasn't in controlled by a fascist here, I would say, you know, maybe the United States can try to talk India out of doing this, maybe get them to back off. But of course not. You know, birds of a feather flock together. And there's a reason why Donald Trump gets along with Narendra Modi, Jair Bolsonaro, because they all are very Trumpian. They all are far-right demagogues who know what they have to do to fire up their respective bases. And that oftentimes involves harming people directly and indirectly. So it's such a disgusting, sad story, but I absolutely will be following it because, again, this isn't just about India. This has broader international implications because these are two nuclear-powered countries now butting heads because India just did something that drastically escalates the situation when tensions have already been high. And, you know, I don't know what to say. This is just tiring to see this happen, you know, in country after country. Increasing authoritarianism is just the norm now. Trumpian figures are popping up everywhere. It's not just the United States. It's not just India. It's not just Brazil. We're seeing this everywhere. And to be fair, Narendra Modi existed before Donald Trump. You know, so um, I don't know if Donald Trump knew who Narendra Modi was, but they absolutely have the same tactics. They're certainly the same types of political figures. And it's just gross. We have to call out their disgusting demagogic tactics when we see it because this cannot stand. In a democracy, people are supposed to be guaranteed certain rights and privileges. And we're just seeing that being eroded in country after country because of these fascists. Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro is often referred to as the Trump of the tropics, and it's easy to see why that's the case, because he very much is a Trumpian figure. He is a far-right demagogue who is a pseudo-populist, he's a fascist, and he's proving to be a menace to Brazilian society already when he was only recently elected as president. Didn't take that long. He's already causing lots of destruction. And it's not just that he's ruining things in Brazil. His actions are directly affecting everyone, the entire planet. So we'll get to that. But first of all, to kind of give you a snapshot of how petty and authoritarian this individual is, well, as you all know, Glenn Greenwald, prestigious American journalist, lives in Brazil. His husband, David Miranda, is the only openly gay Brazilian member of Congress. Now, Glenn Greenwald published an article in The Intercept with other journalists that exposed how Judge Sergio Moro, who oversaw the prosecution of Lula da Silva, illegally colluded with prosecutors to take down Lula. And then he was subsequently appointed as justice minister by Jair Bolsonaro after he successfully took down one of Jair Bolsonaro's biggest political opponents. Seems pretty fishy, right? So what Glenn Greenwald 
revealed in that article is that Sergio Moro illegally broke the law, ironically in the process of trying to bring about these bogus corruption charges against Lula. Now, Bolsonaro retaliated against Greenwald for his reporting by launching an investigation into him, which is insane. And basically, since this happened, since Jair Bolsonaro has been directly attacking Glenn Greenwald, him and his husband and his family they have been bombarded with just non-stop homophobic attacks, and it's absolutely disgusting to see, and I really, you know, I feel for Glenn Greenwald here, but thankfully, you know, the Brazilian Supreme Court shut down the investigation, but I mean, it shows you that Bolsonaro is petty in the same way that Donald Trump is petty, but definitely, you know, measurably worse. He was willing to launch some phony investigation into a journalist all to hide his own corruption, to save his own ass. So that's just like a small snapshot of what Jair Bolsonaro is doing in Brazil. But it's not just that, you know, this is a problem for Brazil, that his presidency poses a threat to Brazilians, because what he's doing is harming the planet, and I don't even know how to process this story because I just feel so hopeless. So as you all know, in Brazil, they control the Amazon rainforest, and we often refer to the Amazon rainforest as the Earth's lungs, and for good reason. But what Jair Bolsonaro is doing is accelerating the process of deforestation. He's basically opening up the Amazon rainforest to private companies, and he's saying, have at it. If you want to, uh, you know, take down the entire Amazon rainforest, that's okay with me as long as we're making money. Now, as Tom Phillips of The Guardian writes, illegal loggers are ramping up a brutal fast assault on the Brazilian Amazon with the blessing of the far-right president Jair Bolsonaro, the sacked head of the government agency tasked with monitoring deforestation has warned. Speaking to The Guardian five days after his dismissal, Ricardo Galvao, the former director of Brazil's Space Institute, said he was praying to the heavens the far-right leader would change tack before the Amazon and Brazil's international reputation as an environmental leader were ruined. What is happening is that this government has sent a clear message that there will not be any more punishment for environmental crimes like before. This government is sending a very clear message that the control of deforestation will not be like it was in the past, and when the loggers hear this message, that they will no longer be supervised as they were in the past, they penetrate the rainforest, Galveo said, claiming enormous damage had already been done since Bolsonaro took power in January. It is a question of brutal, fast economic exploitation. Galveo, an internationally respected scientist, was director of Brazil's National Institute for Space Research until last week when a public clash with Bolsonaro cost him his job. Days earlier, during a meeting with foreign journalists, Bolsonaro had publicly questioned INPE's data suggesting an alarming spike in Amazon destruction and accused Galvao of peddling lies. So in other words, he's crying fake news. How very Trumpian of him. So understand, the Amazon rainforest is Earth's lungs. Jair Bolsonaro is accelerating the destruction of Earth's lungs. We didn't elect this guy. There's nothing that you or me can do about this. We just have to sit back and uh, watch it happen in horror. But, you know, usually in these types of situations, we would have our president maybe put pressure on the Brazilian government and say, hey, maybe, you know, destroying the planet 
isn't the smartest thing since we all kind of want to live here. But you see, the thing is that we also have an idiot as president who doesn't even believe that climate change is a thing. He still believes that climate change is a hoax, and he's not even, you know, progressed to the point where he can say climate change is real, but it's not anthropogenic. Donald Trump is an idiot who probably likes what Jair Bolsonaro is doing. It's almost like him and Jair Bolsonaro are antagonistic towards the planet, which doesn't make any sense to me, because we all have to live on this planet. We only have one that's habitable. So, I mean, this is what's happening. Donald Trump is doing nothing as one of our allies is destroying the planet. Now, thankfully, one country did decide to speak up, and the way that they spoke up was to retaliate in the form of cutting funds to Brazil. So, Germany decided to cut 35 million euros in funds to Brazil that was intended to help preserve the rainforest. And basically, what they're doing here is they're saying, look, if money is what you care about, then you're going to lose money if you continue with this trend of deforestation because we all depend on Earth's lungs to live, to keep our planet habitable. But if you destroy this, I mean, you're just accelerating the death of our planet. So, please stop. But Jair Bolsonaro's response was pretty much meh. I don't care. He said, you know, we don't need their money. They can keep their money. So <laughs> it's not even like it's about the money. It's not even about the money. He wants to destroy the planet. He wants to open it up to private industries because he's a psychopath. All of these fascists around the world, Donald Trump, Jair Bolsonaro, Narendra Modi, they are all psychopathic individuals who don't care about the destruction caused by their behavior. They think short-term and not long-term. And it's just, it's it's horrible to watch because, you know, it, it's hard to not feel hopeless because what can we do about this? Again, we can't vote him out of office. We can't hold him accountable in the United States. And there's only so much that the citizens of Brazil can do because this individual is an authoritarian figure. He already said, you know, he would love to bring back, you know, military rule in Brazil. So if they get too rowdy, you know, he'd crack down on them more. It's just, it's disgusting to see. You know, human beings picked a really bad time to allow fascism to rise, you know, for fascism to get its second win when the planet is dying, when we need to act quickly. Now is the worst possible time. I mean, it's never a good time for fascism to arise, right? But now is the worst possible time when these fascist demagogues who are popping up everywhere are literally going to kill all of us. I mean, what do we do in this situation? I don't know what we can do. There's nothing we can do. We're essentially hopeless. The one country who tried to do anything was unsuccessful. So we just have to sit back and watch and hope that he's voted out in the next election. I mean, what a disgusting situation that we're witnessing here. How do you not care about the planet that your children will be inheriting? How do you not care? That if you get rid of Earth's lungs, we're far worse off. How do you care, or how do you not care, rather, that you are accelerating the death of our planet? Like, we need this planet to be habitable. Do you think it's going to be easier to terraform Mars than to fucking just save the planet we have now? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think that these people thought this through. I don't think that they care, because these are psychopaths, not normal people. Bernie Sanders has obviously been very hard on Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, and rightfully so, because when you are the richest human being on the planet and your workers are forced to pee in bottles in order to save time so they can be more productive for you and make you more money, then 
that just demonstrates what a fundamental failure our capitalist system is. The fact that our system allows something like that to happen, the fact that that type of phenomenon is even possible, it's representative of everything that is wrong with our system. Now, Bernie Sanders calls this out. And at a recent event, he jokingly talked about how it's obvious why the Washington Post is biased against him because he always calls out Jeff Bezos. And Jeff Bezos obviously hates Bernie Sanders. And since he owns the Washington Post, it's obvious why there's so much negativity about Bernie from the Washington Post. Now, the Washington Post actually responded, and this evoked a pretty strong response from CNN as well, and they're pushing back, back hardly, saying, um, no, the fact that Bernie Sanders is saying this, not only is it Trumpian, but it's actually dangerous. So, we're going to see what they had to say, and then I have a lot to say about this. Um, when we return, take a look. The Washington Post is pushing back at, at criticism from Senator Bernie Sanders. The 2020 Democratic hopeful blasted the Post coverage of his campaign, and he argues that it is biased because it is owned by Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. Listen to Sanders in New Hampshire yesterday. Anybody here know how much Amazon paid in taxes last year? Yeah. See, and I talk about that all of the time. And then I wonder why the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, doesn't write particularly good articles about me. I don't know why. He failed to provide any evidence of that. Those past comments along those lines were echoed by his campaign and prompted this reply by Marty Barron, the executive editor for The Washington Post. Quote, Senator Sanders is a member of a large club of politicians of every ideology who complain about their coverage, contrary to the conspiracy theory that the senator seems to favor. Jeff Bezos allows our newsroom to operate with full independence, as our reporters and editors can attest. Kirsten Powers is here, columnist for USA Today, and Brittany Shepard, national politics reporter for Yahoo News. Good morning, guys. Um, I was a little surprised, uh, Kirsten, to hear Sanders say it himself, but it's not new to see his campaign really taking on the media without providing any evidence of bias. Just listen to his campaign manager, Faz Shakir. He was on Reliable Sources with Brian Stelter just a few weeks ago. In about you know a minute or so or two minutes or so, you're going to cut to commercial breaks and you're going to see some pharmaceutical ads. You're going to see a lot of ads that are that are basically paying your bills and the bills of of this uh, the entire media enterprise and what that ends up doing is incentivizing you and others to make sure that you're asking the questions and driving the conversations in certain areas and not in certain areas. So Kirsten Bryan followed up, asked for evidence. He didn't provide any. But this seems like a really dangerous line. Continued accusations against the media with no basis in fact or evidence provided. Yeah, I think it's perfectly in bounds to complain about your coverage, right? If you think, you know, and this is this is what every single campaign does. I mean, even Barack Obama's campaign complained about their coverage, right? Sure. So it's not like this is the, people often think when they're running for president that they are the only person who doesn't like their coverage. And that's that's just not true. Um, this moving into these kind of conspiracy theories about why is what's different. And, and I think in the climate that we're in right now with the president of the United States, who has really gone after all media that hasn't fallen completely in line with him uh, and, and, 
and really is offering full-throated support. Pretty much everybody else has been attacked, um, mm -hmm. you know, as, as fake news and not trustworthy. And so I think what the Sanders campaign is doing is, is falling into, it's using that same playbook, frankly. Yeah. And it would be problematic even without Donald Trump, but considering the culture that we're in where the media is under such constant attack, mm -hmm. um, I think that you should be very careful about the accusations you make and you better be able to back them up. I don't think any standard of evidence will suffice for them because they are in that bubble. So they're unable to be introspective and believe that they're capable of doing anything wrong. But I mean, just the fact that we have corporate owned news outlets in and of itself is a problem. If you are a corporate owned capitalist news outlet, then there's inherently going to be issues with that outlet. Inherently. Because news should not have these types of profit incentives, these incentives that are perverse. They should be concerned with the delivery of news and that exclusively. But they're not. They don't care about the news. What they care about is increasing profit. Now, what they said was that Bernie Sanders failed to provide any evidence that the Washington Post is biased against him. Now, maybe he didn't do so in that particular segment that they linked to. But if you read the Washington Post... How do you not logically deduce that they are, in fact, biased against Bernie Sanders? I mean, in 2016, they ran 16 negative news stories about Bernie Sanders in 16 hours. And within the first 24 hours of his 2020 campaign launch, they published four negative news stories in two days. Now, I don't think that anyone who says that the Washington Post is biased is suggesting that Jeff Bezos is ordering these negative stories to be written about Bernie Sanders. Nobody's saying that. And maybe it's the case that they absolutely do operate with full independence. But what we're saying is when you compare the coverage that Bernie Sanders receives to other candidates, disproportionately, they are negative when you juxtapose his coverage with other candidates. Of course, every candidate is going to complain about the coverage that they get if it's negative. But I mean, there is absolutely a limit to when we can actually start to question whether or not the uh, news outlet in question is pushing an agenda. And it's very clear that that's what the Washington Post is doing because, again, they are a business. They don't care about the news. This is all about making money to them. And what they don't want to tell you is that, you know, even if there may not necessarily be an explicit filtering process when it comes to news, maybe Jeff Bezos doesn't have to check off every article from the Washington Post. But I mean, this happens, this filtering process, if you will, happens when you get hired because they're not going to hire you unless you're going to be one of the individuals that is not going to rock the boat. And they make this implicitly clear that, you know, you are not going to be allowed to exceed the boundaries of what is and isn't permissible. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that they will never hire anyone that actually does a good job. But for every Jeff Stein or Dave Wagle at the Washington Post, there's about 10 more people who are like Jennifer Rubin. And, you know, they're so negative against Bernie Sanders that it almost seems like they have a personal vendetta against him. Like he wronged them personally, like he owes them money or something like that and it's just it's weird it's jarring right you don't expect to see that from news outlets who purport to be objective and who purport to care about the news you just don't see that and look the reason why bernie sanders is criticized one is because all these people in that you know elite dc bubble they all hate bernie sanders so they attend the same cocktail parties and whatnot they're socially predisposed to hate bernie sanders but they also know that bernie sanders 
threatens the status quo, the pro-corporate status quo more specifically. So that's why there's this visceral knee-jerk reaction to Bernie Sanders from these elite media people. Now, they then cut to a clip of Fah Shakir explaining how CNN's corporate advertisers are incentivized to tell a particular line and not rock the boat too much. But they follow that up when Foz made a really great point saying, oh, well, he presented no evidence. The evidence was that you have certain advertisers, CNN in particular, they have corporate advertisers, health industry advertisers, right? So they advertise and they give CNN money, millions of dollars in advertising. The amount of money they spend per year is absolutely mind-boggling. But we don't even need to present you with evidence that they're biased against Bernie Sanders because these advertisements persist, because CNN doesn't want to do anything that would offend potential advertisers. Because just the mere fact that CNN is taking money from the health industry, these advertising dollars, I mean, this is a conflict of interest. You know, it, it's difficult to say whether or not CNN is questioning Medicare for All, for example, because they genuinely are confused about the details and think Bernie should elaborate, or if they're doing it at the behest of their, of their advertisers, if they're creating a type of safe space so advertisers don't feel apprehensive about advertising on CNN. It's a conflict of interest. And the fact that they're being disingenuous about that, the fact that they won't acknowledge that, I mean, it, it's, it's puzzling to me, right? There are conflicts of interest and perverse incentives in all news outlets, right? It's even in independent media. There's this incentive to get clicks. So this may make people in indie media more susceptible to sensationalism and clickbait bias. But at the same time, you know, we don't necessarily have to worry about advertising dollars. I'm not worried about saying something that will piss off, you know, Aetna because I don't have them as advertisers because I am independent. You see what I mean? So the fact that CNN is not even acknowledging that is a little bit frustrating to me. They're pretending like, you know, they're holier than thou and they're not acknowledging that these are businesses. I mean, the Washington Post will literally block you from reading more than five articles per month and they will force you to pay them money. Now, on one hand, you can argue that individual memberships is better. You know, it's a better alternative to corporate advertising. And I would agree to an extent, but to completely block people from reading your news outlet if they don't pay... I mean, that demonstrates something that is painfully obvious. This is a business. They don't care about the delivery of news. That goal is secondary to the goal of making money and increasing profits. This isn't a labor of love for them. It's a business. This is how capitalism works. It corrupts everything it touches, and it turns the delivery of news even, which is crucial for democracy, into a money-making venture. That's what capitalism does. Whatever it touches, it turns to sh**. Healthcare democracy, news, it's the lowest common denominator. Now, I would love to live in a world where, you know, I could criticize CNN because I disagree with a pundit or two pundits and something that they said. Maybe I thought that their analysis wasn't objective. But we also are right to question that conflict of interest because you are a business. You do news, but that goal, again, is secondary. Now, what they do is they compare Bernie's attacks and criticism of the Washington Post to Donald Trump's, and something they said really struck a chord with me. Quote, considering the culture we're in where the media is under such constant attack, I think you should be careful about the accusations you make, and you better be able to back them up. Okay, first of all, um, 
I find this incredibly ironic because the media, in part, contributed to Donald Trump's rise. Why? Because there is a sensationalism bias. Because sensationalist news stories, Donald Trump, for example, a loudmouth billionaire running for president, that is something that attracts eyeballs. And what attracts advertising dollars? So CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, these are all cable news outlets that are competing for advertising dollars. So they are going to cover what gets them the most amount of eyeballs, which gets them, you know, the best ratings. So in a way, you know, they kind of made this bed and now they're lying in it. They helped Donald Trump get elected. They legitimized him as a candidate. And now they're complaining about the consequences of that, about his attacks on the press. Well, maybe you should have been a little bit more responsible when you were covering someone who was a fascistic demagogue. Now, second of all, they are assuming that nuance doesn't exist. They're suggesting that we are unable to disaggregate an actual legitimate criticism of corporate media from Bernie Sanders from Donald Trump's attacks on the media. Um, no, we absolutely can and should do that. When Donald Trump calls a particular news story or a news outlet fake news, he's not doing it because he has this complex anti-capitalist critique of a particular news outlet. He's doing it because he doesn't like it. Anything he doesn't like, he calls fake news. But with Bernie Sanders, he is calling out the inherent conflicts of interest that end up leading to biased news stories. That's a very different thing. So for you to say that what Bernie Sanders is doing here is Trumpian, absolutely no, it's not Trumpian. Calling out the inherent conflicts of interest and perverse incentives within the pro-corporate capitalist news sphere isn't Trumpian. It's logical. It's the antithesis of Trumpism. And by linking Bernie Sanders to Donald Trump, they know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to delegitimize him, right? Because what these news outlets have are a ton of different powers. They can increase the salience of issues. Like if I think that immigration is a particularly important issue, they are able, just by covering something repeatedly, to raise the salience and the level of importance with which I view that issue by talking about it enough. That's what the news media can do. They can set an agenda. So if they think issues X, Y, and Z are popular, but you know A, B, and C are not, they can actually get that on the agenda of lawmakers. So these are very powerful institutions. But the problem is that these institutions have been corrupted by capitalism, corporate dollars, because these are businesses. I mean, think about this. How many um, pro-Medicare for All segments has CNN done? In fact, scratch that. How many just bland Medicare for All segments has CNN done where they didn't actually, you know, they didn't editorialize. They just said, these are the facts about Medicare for all. Take them or leave them. I mean, almost every single segment, I'd say 95%, if not more segments about Medicare for all, they are negative. They are absolutely negative. And this is why people don't trust you. I mean, there was a video with Chris Saliza where he talked about Medicare for all, and he made the assertion that it's not necessarily smart politically to promote this policy idea because the polls suggest that it wouldn't really, you know, do well. But that's just one poll. He cherry picked a poll and ignored other polls. So we're not saying that CNN is going out of their way to make up facts. Nobody's asserting that. I don't think that they are as bad as Fox News. But with that being said, you can still twist facts. You can still promote a particular narrative. And that is harmful. This is what corporate media news outlets do. You know, they do what gets them the ratings and they oftentimes will stonewall anything that would affect their corporate advertising dollars. I mean, it's 
obviously in CNN's best interest to see us not get Medicare for all because if the private insurance industry goes out of business, then that is millions of dollars lost in advertising to CNN. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they will go out of their way to editorialize all healthcare related stories, but I mean, I think the outcome is obvious. They're clearly biased, right? So the fact that they don't even admit to basic biases that isn't that, that are inherent in corporate media it's so frustrating to me you are a business not a news outlet you're not holier than thou stop being so disingenuous stop being purposefully obtuse and just do a better job like you are individuals who are employees at cnn so if you think that you're being criticized unfairly prove us wrong go out of your way to be one of the few at cnn or the washington post who are actually good there's not all bad people at these news outlets you know at cnn i really like allison camarota for the most part at the washington post i absolutely love the reporting of jeff stein he is probably the best reporter so it's not like it's all bad we're just saying do better and we're operating within the confines of a capitalist news structure so we know that there are these inherent conflicts of interest but i mean if you're worried about being accused of how biased you are either hide it better or just do better facts first this is cnn's new tagline <laughs> now i think that a more accurate tagline would be profits first because cnn is a corporation their goal is to do news in a way that attracts eyeballs to televisions because that attracts advertisers so really you know being a news delivery resource is the secondary goal their number one goal is profits in spite of what they say so oftentimes this leads to bias because there's this conflict of interest and bernie sanders recently called out the bias in corporate media and cnn absolutely did not like what he had to say about corporate media and they said very bluntly look if you're gonna call us out where's the evidence um i was a little surprised uh Kirsten, to hear Sanders say it himself, but it, it's not new to see his campaign really taking on the media without providing any evidence of bias. Mm -hmm. um, I think that you should be very careful about the accusations you make, and you better be able to back them up. Well, Bernie Sanders was not there to defend himself, but allow me to do that. So I actually do have evidence. In fact, I have a sadly hilarious example of CNN's bias getting in the way. So CNN Politics tweeted, fact check, Bernie Sanders is once again saying the U.S. spends twice as much on health care per capita as any other country in the world. It's a claim he has been making since at least 2009 when PolitiFact noted that it was false. It's still false now. And when you go to the article, they claim again that he's been making the same false claim for 10 years now. Now, here's why they say they rated this claim false facts first it's still false now the u.s does spend the highest amount on healthcare per capita of any organization for economic cooperation and development country but not double every single one so the issue isn't necessarily that he was lying the issue was that he wasn't being specific enough because even if we spend double many countries when it comes to healthcare spending we just don't spend double every single country 
So the word every is really what's at issue here. It's a little bit misleading. And here's how they say he could have been more correct. Sanders could have accurately said the U.S. spends more than twice the average for OECD countries, which was an estimated 3,992 in 2018 and a firmer 3,854 in 2017. So <laughs> this is almost indistinguishable from his original claim. So what they're doing here is they're being overly nitpicky because they want to make Bernie Sanders look bad. This is what I'd like to call nuanced trolling. You pick out the details so that way if somebody doesn't word something very specifically, then you are able to attack them for it, right? And there are some instances where details absolutely matter. Very specific things can be an issue. But what he was saying here, uh, was that an issue? No. And what I love is that Bernie Sanders actually responded to this, and it's in the actual article. And he says, actually, we were referring to the average for OECD countries and noted that this was confirmed by CNN, who in January of this year published an article with the headline, U.S. spends twice as much on healthcare as its peers. Congratulations, you played yourself. But wait a minute. I thought that you said the United States doesn't spend twice as much as all of its peers. Underline all. That's a little bit misleading. And furthermore, if we want to be more technical, really, you know, it spends twice the average of OECD countries. So, I mean, what happened? Is CNN going to rate that headline false? <laughs> I mean, this is a joke. What a hilarious self-own. What they did was they tried to nuance troll in order to discredit Bernie Sanders, and they only ended up inadvertently discrediting themselves because they just demonstrated to us that they don't actually care about facts. They have an agenda, and they were banking on the fact that most people will only read the headline. They're not going to go any further than that. So they're trying to make it seem like Bernie Sanders is lying when he's not. And if we're being extra charitable here, they could have rated the statement from Bernie Sanders partially true, right? But instead, they just deemed the entire statement false when what he said was basically echoed in the CNN article. And Bernie Sanders pointed that out. It's in the fact check. I mean, this is just so embarrassing. So if CNN ever wonders why we think they're biased against Bernie Sanders and why they jump through hoops to discredit him at any chance they get. It's things like this that contribute to that narrative. So if you're not biased against Bernie Sanders, prove me wrong. Don't do things like this where you go out of your way to nuance troll in order to make him look bad, in order to make it seem like he's lying. Because by doing that, by banking on the fact that most people will only read the headline, you're actually spreading misinformation because we do spend double our peers. So if you want him to be more specific, then say you want him to be more specific and that his statement is, is only partially true. But they didn't do that. They wanted to make him look bad, and now they were caught, and they complain whenever we call it their bias. Unbelievable. CNN is garbage, and this is why everyone hates CNN and nobody takes them seriously. It's because of things like this. This isn't the only time they have revealed their bias. I mean, this is a corporate news outlet, so they don't care about the delivery of news. They don't care about facts. 
They care about profits. And they know that Bernie Sanders threatens the profits of their advertisers, which is bad for business. Hence why they hate him. Hence why they do things like this. You just have to put two and two together. It's that simple. At the end of Bernie Sanders' appearance on Joe Rogan's podcast, Joe Rogan asked what was seemingly a half-serious question about UFOs and whether or not Bernie Sanders would release that information and declassify whatever information that the U.S. government has about UFOs. And Bernie Sanders gave what was obviously a joking answer. He said, you know, if I do learn anything, you'll be the first to know. And, of course, predictably, the media wasted no time in trying to frame Bernie Sanders as a kook and a conspiracy theorist. And if you actually watch the clip, it's obvious that Bernie Sanders probably doesn't think there are little green men at Area 51. Although we'll find out on September 20th. But, I mean, I think it was obvious that this wasn't meant to be taken seriously, right? It was a lighthearted answer. Um, to a half-serious question, but regardless, since he's an evil socialist and Fox News had an opportunity to frame him as Crazy Bernie because that narrative would help Donald Trump, they took that opportunity up. Although the problem is that when they talked about this segment, one of their own panelists is as kooky as they were trying to portray Bernie as because one of their panelists was a little bit, you know, open to the idea that maybe there are, in fact, aliens at Area 51 or aliens that have visited us. And when you find out who this panelist is, it's going to make the story that much more sweet. Time now for our 2020 roundup. First up, if you thought Bernie was a little off his rocker before, wait until you hear this. Sanders is promising to reveal information about aliens if he wins the White House. Watch. If you got into the office and you found out something about aliens, if you found out something about UFOs, would you let us know? Well, I'll tell you, my wife would demand that I let you know. Is your wife a UFO nut? <laughs> no, she's not a UFO nut, which is, Bernie, what is going on? Do you have any access to the records? And you don't have any access? I don't, honestly, no? I don't know. Okay, you, you let us know, though? All right, I'll be on the show. We'll announce it on the show. How's Please. that? So, Dana, he's apparently smoking, right? You see him laughing. Oh. Uh, I, I don't know because I've never smoked it, and I don't know what it's like, but... You only do I the edibles, say, right? I would say that this seems <laughs> like bribery. Yes, yeah, just yeah. the gummy he's bears. He's trying to bribe for votes, right? Because people want this want UFO information so badly. He's like, I'll do it, and then he probably won't. Because the CIA will stop There it. are UFOs that are living in Bernie's hair. They're really, really microscopic. By the way, every, pre every candidate does do this. They say this. But then once they see the files, right. their brains right, are erased. Right. Right. No, they erase it so they don't have any memory of it. <laughs> like well, you know, you know style, the Defense yeah, yeah. Department, you have a 22, I think it was a $22 million program that tracked it. It was cut out during a sequester. But I would be interested in knowing if there's some other people here. I don't believe it, Dan. I Listen, believe it. <laughs> you remember the Waco Ranch, the bushes? Yeah. If the moon wasn't out at night, it was pretty black. There was no moonlight coming down. That sky could get pretty black. And you see some crazy stuff at night. You're like, what is that thing out there? But yeah, Greg's right. Everyone says they're going to give us the big UFO file. This thing, though, there's no UFO file. They, 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 also, no, I don't know uh, that our government knows. I don't, listen, the government is a, Father Bob Sirico, the acting institute, had the greatest line ever one day. He said, it's not the government's too big, it's too stupid. Mm. They can't keep a secret. You think yeah. there's a, I'm not suggesting there may be UFOs or may not be. I'm just telling you, you think 
the government's keeping this secret? How do I you two not know? You guard uh, how many presidents you work for? A people, president? when I, I got out of the Secret Service, me. people swore to me, you saw the real Zabruder film. You know who killed Jeff. That, that's the film, wow. man. I'm not lying to you. I've left. But, you were in the White House. But, but earlier this the, year, the, the Air Force, the Navy reported seeing something uh, right alongside No, it was a fly. No, <laughs> that's what and they want American you to think, Dana. Airline and and also another unit saw something over Arizona. So there's something out there. We just don't know. I, I think Bernie, is. though, is out there enough that if there was a UFO file and God forbid he, he was elected could be a space alien. He, I don't think people would believe. I will anymore. show you the file. Right. You could do that. You like that? Yeah, I, that's 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 I love that so much because the question was posed, is Bernie Sanders off his rocker? And then there's a couple of jokes thrown in. Everyone is laughing at Bernie Sanders. And then Donna Brazil very seriously chimes in and says, I would be interested in knowing if there are uh, some people here. <laughs> well, that didn't work out too well. You're trying to portray Bernie Sanders as a kook for ostensibly believing that aliens have visit visited us and maybe they're at Area 51 and then your own panelist um, also believes in that. <laughs> uh, now, towards the end, they said, you know, since Bernie Sanders is out there, um, even if there was something, even if he disclosed that from the public, people still wouldn't believe him because he's so crazy. Really? You don't think that they would believe Bernie Sanders? Most people believe in God, so you don't think they would believe that aliens visited us? Really? Really? Come on. Come on. Now, for the record, um, do I believe that aliens have visited us? Because I have to address this since I'm talking about this. Um, no. I think that it's very likely that there are aliens that exist somewhere in the universe because it's just so vast that how could there not, you know, be aliens? But have they visited us? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's enough evidence to determine that. And sure, you know, there's these testimonies from... Um, military pilots and whatnot, but just because they see something that is indescribable, that's odd, that's unidentified, that doesn't necessarily mean that the conclusion is that it's aliens. No. My standard for evidence is incredibly high, and let me tell you this, I absolutely want to believe that aliens have visited us because I absolutely love this conspiracy theory. When I was younger, I would watch all these documentaries of people who claimed that they were abducted, and I didn't believe it, but I still found it fascinating. I love that type of sci-fi. I mean, I literally have a UFO tattooed on my arm. It's on my body. That's how much I love this type of shit. I love UFO stuff and alien, you know, um, stories and whatnot, but just because I love it doesn't mean that it's true. I want to believe. I want to believe in a lot of things. I want to believe that I'm a superhero who can fly. Uh, doesn't mean that it's true. And I know that that's dismissive and I will piss off people. Um, but, you know, that's just uh, my take. Although, now that I'm talking about this, I realize that it's probably not a good idea to get this type of thing tattooed on my body permanently because I'm just going to attract people who will start sharing their stories with me about how they were abducted and probed by aliens. But you know what? You live with each life decision. So, <laughs> circling back, we took that long tangent, but let's bring it back to Fox News. Um... That didn't go too well for them, and I thought it was hilarious, and really, the media's attempt to portray Bernie Sanders as a kook, it's so irritating, and look, a lot of these articles about Bernie Sanders with, like, the funny alien picture in him, I get it, like, it's all lighthearted, it's in good fun, but it's also a problem that there is genuinely, like, this real legitimate concerted effort to portray Bernie Sanders as a kook. 
Bernie Sanders is called Crazy Bernie by Donald Trump. You know what I mean? So, um, we just have to push back when we see it. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't think Bernie thinks that aliens exist. He's not some kooky conspiracy theorist. But, um, yeah, I'll leave that there. I'm glad that down to Brazil kind of swooped in to save Bernie there. Because <laughs> you can't really say someone's crazy if someone on your own panel who is hired by Fox News believes the same thing that you asserted is crazy. Too bad. Fox News host Dan Bongino was incredibly insulted that Bernie Sanders had the audacity to insult King Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders tweeted this about the president. Donald Trump believes climate change is a hoax. Donald Trump is an idiot. Now, I rate this statement true, but if you're Dan Bongino, you were incredibly offended by this. And um, if you know anything about Dan Bongino, you would know that he is incredibly fragile. So it takes just <laughs> the littlest thing to get him in a place of complete outrage now. <laughs> He's very sensitive about one thing in particular that the Kid Mero pointed out, where <laughs> the, ki the Kid Mero <laughs> got in a Twitter fight with Dan Bongino and correctly <laughs> pointed out that <laughs> his head is shaped like the Brave Little Toaster or a Nintendo GameCube. <laughs> When you look at him, how can you dispute this? This is almost a perfect rectangle here. <laughs> and every time I think of that tweet, I laugh so hard. And the first time I saw that, like my stomach hurt. I was laughing so hard. Now, Dan Bongino is incredibly, incredibly sensitive about the shape of his head. Because um, not only did he, I believe, block the Kid Mero after that, but he blocks people who share that tweet around. So, for example, I share it because it's hilarious and indisputable. And he literally blocked me because I shared that tweet. <laughs> because I shared that tweet from the Kid Mero. <laughs> <laughs> So the man is incredibly fragile, and you're going to see his fragility on full display on Fox News when he reacts to Bernie Sanders' tweet. Um, and when you watch this, try not to stare at his square-shaped head. I can't unsee the Nintendo GameCube in particular, but I also see Brave Little Toaster. This is too much. Sanders' uh, tweet of recent note. He says simply, and we're talking about the climate change issue, which is popular amongst these candidates, saying Donald Trump believes climate change is a hoax. Donald Trump is an idiot. Just straight. <laughs> what do you make of that? It's like, the, is this the comedy block at 7.30 in the morning? I don't, Donald Trump's an idiot? This is Bernie Sanders. I want to spend $30 trillion in 10 years. You like my Bernie? Bernie's, Donald's an idiot? This guy wants to spend $30 trillion over the next 10 let, years. We're $20 let trillion not, in debt. Let us not deprive you of that, Dan. Real quickly, here is what you're talking about. Senator Give me a number, Medicare for all, an approximate number, how much would it cost? Somewhere between 30 and 40 trillion over a 10 year period.
just nonchalantly <laughs> dropping that out there. We're talking about a guy who can't do first grade level math. And he, Donald Trump's an idiot. Let's, I mean, shall we go on? Bernie Sanders, this guy's never had a real job outside of politics his entire life. I believe there's a story that he was kicked out of a commune when he was like engaged in some kind of communist work program or something. And Donald Trump's an idiot. He wants, again, you understand he can't do basic math. Griff. He believes in the money fairy. He goes, money? Yeah, we can find money anywhere. Uh, money, money here, money there. It's never his money. The, Griff, the guy owns, what is it, two or three houses? Is it two or three now? I'm not sure. He owns two or three houses that he claims to be a socialist. And Donald Trump's an idiot? Let me tell you something, all you Sanders supporters out there. There is, I, I, so I don't know the guy, I've never met him, but I'm telling you right now, based on his public statements, I have never in my life seen a bigger phony fake fraud in politics than this joker. Yeah. Every, he's never had a job, he doesn't work, he's a, he's a millionaire, I'm a millionaire. This guy, you notice he stopped railing against millionaires and billionaires? He only rails against billionaires now, you know why? Because he's a millionaire. He's the <laughs> right. biggest phony out there. Total fraud. And Martha McCallum in his town hall nailed him to the wall on that. You don't like the Trump tax cuts? Well, you you, you pay that rate, don't you? You don't pay extra. Yeah. Well, of course I'm going to pay that rate. Phony, fraud, fake, total fraud. Yeah. Dan, you mentioned budget. He says 30 to $40 trillion over 10 years. The current federal budget is roughly $4.7 trillion. So that means... He's going to double the size of the federal budget each year to pay for Medicare for all. It's, it's lunacy. Yet he's he, taken seriously. He thinks there's a money fairy out there. He, he thinks like they, like the tooth fairy that they come in the middle of the night and they just drop money on people's pillow to pay their taxes. This guy is a total phony. He is the biggest fake I have ever seen in politics. And I can't believe that people are getting suckered by this guy every day. He flies for... Remember that story about his private travel during the... I thought he was a climate change guy. Yeah, uh, climate change, you're, you're spewing CO2 yeah. all yep. over the country so you can fly around in a private jet. He's a big phony. Because all they right. hear free college. They hear free college, free health insurance, free, yeah, free, 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 and they're going to go to Dan, the Dan, we always wonder whether you're going to tell us how you really feel. <laughs> so, Especially on Monday at 7.30. Yeah, that's my favorite date. I Dan, love this one. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, if you run into the money fairy, we'll send her your way. So notice how he didn't address the issue of climate change even a single time. And I actually found that like legitimately cringeworthy because it was evident that he was scrambling like he just wanted to throw whatever he had at bernie in hopes that it would stick so he was scrambling to think of all of these right-wing talking points you know he's a socialist he has three houses uh he is a millionaire i mean is that really how you respond that's all you have i mean really at this point we've heard all of these same talking points and it's not working the only one that he forgot which i was surprised he didn't mention was venezuela but look, here's what he says. So in response to Bernie Sanders calling Trump an idiot, these are the things that he came up with to rebut what Bernie Sanders said. Donald's an idiot. This guy wants to spend $30 trillion over the next 10 years. And he says this about Medicare for all. Now, unfortunately for Dan Bongino, even right-wing Coke-funded studies show that overall health spending goes down. Why? Because our healthcare system is incredibly inefficient. The Koch-funded Mercatus Center study found that the American people will save $2 trillion if we move to Medicare for all. So he thinks that he is brilliant in saying, oh, well, Bernie Sanders' healthcare plan is going to cost 30 to $40 trillion. 
but he doesn't know anything about this subject, or at least that's the impression that I got. I'm assuming he doesn't know anything, because of course, if you're moving to a federal single-payer type system, federal spending increases. That's the whole point. But that's offset by state and local spending going down simultaneously. And at the individual level, you know, we will be saving money. Most Americans will be saving money because even if we're going to be paying more in taxes, we're not going to pay our monthly health insurance premiums and copays and deductibles. Now, what's funny is that they had that clip already queued up of Bernie Sanders saying how much Medicare for all would cost. It's almost like Dan Bongino was instructed to use that line of attack. But I mean, what a weak line of attack. Medicare for all is incredibly popular. And some polls show that a majority of Republicans support it. So you have to come up with something better than that. But he didn't because we saw what else he said. He says Bernie Sanders never had a real job outside of politics his entire life. Because he's been in politics his entire life. He's a U.S. senator. So you're honestly going to say that personally he's never accomplished anything? What did Donald Trump do? You're an ardent Donald Trump supporter. Donald Trump was born into wealth. And he had to have his daddy pump thousands upon thousands of dollars into his businesses, including into casinos. He was that big of a failure. So coming from a Donald Trump supporter, it doesn't really seem like you care about personal accomplishments of politicians. He also says the guy owns two or three houses. Okay. He says he's a millionaire. Okay. But he wants to raise his own taxes. That's kind of, that's, that's key. Uh, he also repeated multiple times. He's a fraud. He's a phony. He's a fake. Now, he repeated this multiple times, and that in and of itself is not a substantive argument, obviously, but again, for a Donald Trump supporter to make this claim about another politician is incredibly hypocritical because the individual who you support is not just a buffoon, but he is a fraud. What is Trump University? He lies every two seconds, so how can you with a straight face say that these things about Bernie Sanders are bad, but still support Donald Trump. If these things were true about Bernie Sanders, they're not, then shouldn't you want to support Bernie Sanders because you seem drawn to frauds and phonies and fakes? I mean, the man is a joke, and I understand that it's very difficult for him to think critically because, I mean, what brain can function in a head shaped like that? Like, his skull is a cube. That's not normal. So I understand that it may be difficult for him to use all of the cognitive functions that the average human brain may offer when you are the brave little toaster, but that doesn't mean we're going to give you a pass when you go on Fox News and start spouting off bullshit. So um, I don't know what else to say. Let's put up the Kid Mero tweet one more time. Um, this really was a blessing and a joy to read. And anytime there is a pundit who is going to say something very stupid, I think that we should all let the kid Mero know because he absolutely knows exactly what to do to get under their skin and uh, never bring up the fact that Dan Bongino's head is shaped like the Brave Little Toaster or a Nintendo GameCube because he's not going to be too happy. Might even block you for bringing that up. <laughs>
Well, if you needed more proof that capitalism is killing our democracy, what's left of it anyways, look no further than this tweet by billionaire presidential candidate Tom Steyer, who writes, I'm thrilled to announce that today we've reached the required 130,000 individual donors to appear in September's debate. Just one more qualifying poll stands between us and that stage. Thanks to all who've contributed even $1 to this movement. We can't do this without you. Imagine being stupid enough to give any amount of money to a billionaire. I mean, that's your hard-earned cash, and you're giving it to a billionaire. I don't know how to sugarcoat it. You're just stupid if you do that. Now, second of all, um, I already know what some of you will say. How is that proof that billionaires and capitalism, you know, they're responsible for the death of democracy? Isn't this proof that democracy is thriving? Because he announced that he's running for president, and then 130,000 individual people thought, his message resonates with me, so I'm going to donate to him. Well, let me break it down for you. The reason why he was able to accumulate that many individual grassroots donations to begin with is because he is a billionaire. He has the resources to hire the amount of people necessary to amass that much donations. And there are more qualified, legitimate candidates in the race that are going to struggle to make it into the September debate because they don't have that much money, because they aren't billionaires. But because Tom Steyer has the money and resources necessary to qualify for the debates, he may very well leapfrog multiple candidates in a crowded field that are better than him, all because he's rich. And here's how he pulled this off. As Janine Santussi of USA Today reports, he has spent over $7 million on TV advertising, and his campaign also plastered social media with ads urging voters to donate as little as $1, each of which would count as a unique donor to meet the debate minimum. So he's here because he has money. Period. End of story. Do you see now why capitalism is killing democracy? Because he has the resources to absolutely blast his message. He spent millions of dollars to get 130,000 individual donations. And now he may very well replace someone else on the debate stage. That's absolutely disgusting that our system allows this to happen. I mean, what a joke. What an absolute joke of a system we have. In order to win, you have to have money. Look, this is why so many candidates sell out to special interests, because they know that they're not going to get anywhere if they don't actually raise a large sum of money, because getting the word out, you know, doing these television and radio advertisements and internet advertisements, this is all crucial to getting your name out there, boosting your name recognition, and, you know, letting people know what your message is. And the problem is that once they're elected, they then return the favors of their donors, which is why a Princeton University study by Drs. Gillens and Page found that policy outcomes are dictated by elites and not average citizens. This is not a democracy. This is an oligarchy. And this is what happens. This is why capitalism and democracy cannot coexist, because capitalism is a very corrosive force and it corrupts everything, including democracy itself. It corrupts news, it corrupts healthcare, it corrupts democracy. Democracy is absolutely unable to exist with capitalism. And unless you have a system of governance where capitalism is reined in heavily, this is what happens. Capitalism 
will corrupt everything like the virus that it is. Now, according to USA Today, there's only nine candidates thus far that have been confirmed to be on the debate stage in September. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, Beto O'Rourke, and Andrew Yang, and now probably Tom Steyer. That means, so far, if they don't split it into two nights, that's 10 candidates. That means probably no Marianne Williamson. That may mean that Tulsi Gabbard, who outraised Tom Steyer, got more individual donations than him, may not appear on the debate stage. Think about how insane that is. A billionaire who used his resources to propel himself to that spot may actually replace a legitimate candidate like Tulsi Gabbard, who's important for the country because she's moving the Overton window to the left with regard to foreign policy. She's saying, look, uh, Democrats are going to reclaim the mantle of being the anti-war party. I'm going to lead the charge. Her message is crucial, but instead we're going to get someone who's going to be a pseudo-populist billionaire just like Donald Trump was and replace her possibly. Now, I don't know that that's a foregone conclusion yet, but the fact that it's even a possibility is outrageous. We should never have to worry about billionaires like this buying their way onto the debate stage and replacing actual candidates. This is insane. This is absolute madness. Now, I do want to share a short clip from MSNBC, and he talked a little bit about his message, and I, I couldn't not share this because it's just, it's laughable. So you've met the donor threshold. You still have a poll threshold to make. Most people believe you will get there and that you will be on the stage for those debates. Uh, so what will be your message? This will be an introduction for a lot of the country, although you've spent a lot of money. You've been on the air a lot in places like Iowa, but most of the country hasn't met you, doesn't know what you stand for. In that crowded <laughs> field, what will be your message in the debate? I have a simple message, Joe, and that's this. We have a broken government. There's been a hostile corporate takeover of our government, and I'm here to return to government of, by, and for the people. I've been an outsider for 10 years, organizing coalitions of ordinary American citizens to take on unchecked corporate power, and for 10 years, we've been beating those corporations and winning. And so, that is my message, that that is job one, to take back the government from the corporate, the corporations who bought it. And it's a similar message, as you know, Tom, to someone like Senator Elizabeth Warren or Senator Bernie Sanders, who've been railing against corporations and corporate money in politics. How will you be different from them? Well, I think that the big difference is this, that I'm an outsider, that I have been doing it from the outside successfully for 10 years. If you look at the other people who are running for this nomination, they're overwhelmingly insiders. The top four people are all senators or former senators who have more than 70 years combined in the Congress and the Senate of the United States. So I think there's a big question for all Democratic voters. If job one is to take back the government from corporations, do you think it's gonna come from someone who's a grassroots activist and who's been doing it from the outside successfully? Or do you think an insider, somebody who's been working inside the Beltway for years, is the person who's actually going to change D.C.? You can hear, as we sit here speaking, the criticism coming from Senator Warren or Senator Sanders that says it's a little rich for a billionaire, a guy who worked at Goldman Sachs and started an investment firm that made him a billionaire, talking about the interest of corporate power in America. How will you respond to that? Well, I would say for 10 years, we've been taking on their right to buy the government. It's not that I don't believe in the private sector, Joe. For 
I'm someone who believes that the American economy is powered by the private sector. But what I know is this. I don't want them writing the rules for how they behave at the expense of the American people. I mean, it really is ironic to see a billionaire go on national television and bemoan corporate power. And I'm glad that the, you know, host spoke to that because that's what we were all thinking. How can you say this when you're a billionaire? You are here now. I'm talking to you because of corporate power. And notice how people who are bullshitters, they like to use the word corporate power in lieu of capitalism because they don't want to call out the actual system. They just want to say, well, some corporations who are the problem. Maybe they're a little bit too greedy. But they won't actually condemn capitalism. He won't actually condemn the system itself. And, you know, the collection of institutions that make up our democracy that allowed him to amass that much wealth in the first place. It's just disgusting. And I'm sorry, he's trying to present himself as the true outsider. I'm the real outsider, not someone like Bernie Sanders. He's been in politics forever. He's a senator. If you are a billionaire and you're trying to convince me that (laughs) you're literally an outsider, that's a joke. And if I were interviewing him, I would just laugh in his face. Because if you are a billionaire, you are the ultimate insider. In a capitalist system, money doesn't just make you, you know, able to buy whatever you want to. This gives you power. So to say that you're an outsider, sure, you can argue that you haven't been in Congress, but that's not a benefit. We have a dipshit billionaire in power currently who hasn't had a real job a day in his life, and look how that's going. So to say, oh, I don't have experience and I'm an outsider, that's not a benefit to you. That's not a benefit to you. So if he makes it on the debate stage, that's one thing. But if he actually replaces good candidates like Marianne Williamson and Tulsi Gabbard, that would be so disgusting. I would be irate. Because think about this. Like, it's obvious that people like John Delaney, they don't have a chance in hell of qualifying. If they do, I'd be surprised. But there are actual serious contenders who are bringing something unique to the table that may not get a spot at that next debate because all of a sudden he was able to leapfrog. And it's possible that he's going to use his resources to get, you know, uh, up to 200,000 donations in order to get more than Tulsi Gabbard, for example, so he can kind of make the case, oh, no, I should qualify instead of her. If that happens, that will be so disgusting. And just because of the fact that he's a billionaire, nobody should take him seriously because having money doesn't make you a serious presidential candidate. It makes you suspicious. It's, it, it makes you suspect. Because if you amass that much wealth, if you have a billion dollars, you are inherently greedy and that makes you a bad person. So if you genuinely care about all of this corporate influence that we see in money and politics, stay home. Because you are not a solution, Tom Steyer. You are part of the problem. So put your money where your mouth is and maybe use some of your money to advertise for Bernie Sanders a true populist, but he's not going to do that because he just wants power. Billionaires are so insufferable. We should not live in a system that allows people to make a billion dollars. We just shouldn't. That is a failure of our system if that happens. And the fact that there are so many billionaires, the proliferation of billionaires, that is really evidence that capitalism is just garbage (laughs) and it's never going to work alongside democracy. Maybe it can work at certain times if you reform it. But I mean, we reformed, you know, capitalism before and look where we're at again. If we reform it again, 
We're going to be here in another 50 to 100 years. It's going to be a cycle that repeats itself. You have to end capitalism completely because capitalism is a virus and it turns everything into a money-making venture that just pits human beings against each other, that corrupts institutions. And this is evidence of that. And I wish more people would see it. So I don't necessarily agree with all of Andrew Yang's policy positions, but he is such an incredibly personable and nice guy that you can't not like him. And at the Gun Sense Forum, basically he did something that other more focus group driven rehearsed candidates would never do. He actually demonstrated that he is capable of something that they are seemingly not. Human emotion. And this was a really touching moment that I wanted to share with you. My beautiful four-year-old daughter, Dela, was struck by a stray bullet March 2011. My son, my daughter's twin brother, witnessed what happened that day. She died two days later. Firearms are the second leading cause of death for children and teenagers in the U.S., but 4.6 million American children live in homes with at least one gun that is loaded and unlocked and hundreds of them gain access to a gun and unintentionally shoot themselves or someone else every year. As president, how would you address unintentional shootings by children? Thank you for that. Can I give you a hug? Is that be appropriate? I have a six and three year old boy, that's imagining. <laughs> I was imagining it was one of them that got shot and the other saw it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. The, the biggest downside of running for president for me has been that I don't get to see my family very much. So I get pictures, I FaceTime, I see pictures of my boys and just that scene that she described, I'm sorry, it's like very, very affecting. You're right that when there's a gun in the household, you're more likely to have a child get shot or the owner get shot than to kill, let's say, an intruder into the house. Those are just numbers. Um, those are just the facts. So one of the things we can do, and it's very hard to get into Americans' houses where all of these guns are, uh, but if we can convince Americans that personalized guns are a good idea, then again, if you, the child gets a hold of the gun and they can't do anything with it, then it just becomes a very heavy, expensive prop. Uh, and that's something that we can push. One of my proposals is to actually help gun owners upgrade their guns to personalized guns free of charge. Because if we can do that, then again, if you're a gun owner, and gun owners are parents, gun owners understand that, you know, and some of them are concerned. So if you say, hey, we'll upgrade your uh, guns for free, when we can do that, like you can upgrade the guns for free, and that would help make kids safer in our homes. I'm so sorry you um, had to, uh, and that, that story should not be possible. Uh, I'm so sorry. 
I'll admit, and I don't want to admit this, when I first saw this, when I saw him tear up, it made me tear up because that was such an emotional moment there, you know, for someone who's running for president to actually let his guard down like that, to see the way that he was touched personally by a question. I mean, you rarely ever see this. Imagine if Joe Biden or Kamala Harris was asked that same question. Do you honestly believe that they would allow themselves to reveal their emotions like that? They would say, you know, I offer you my condolences, and they they would pivot to their planned talking points that they have for gun violence. And certainly, you know, I'm sure that Andrew Yang's points about gun reform and personalized guns, I'm sure that he planned that out. I'm sure that this is something that he's talked about before. But for him to actually have his answer interrupted by just emotion, this is what I want to see in lawmakers. And I know that it doesn't seem like there's much policy substance to extract here, and maybe there isn't, but just in terms of like what we need is we need lawmakers to be able to listen to our complaints, our grievances, our criticisms, and respond accordingly and adapt. And Andrew Yang demonstrated that he is capable of that. He's capable of listening to the concerns and responding in a very genuine and authentic way. And look, this isn't the first time, for example, when he came on my program, I shared my story about my dad who's on social security and I posed the question to him, does it seem fair that my dad has to choose between universal basic income and his social security when he worked his whole life and paid into the social security? Doesn't it seem unfair that he wouldn't get that extra 1000 but someone who makes, you know, 100000 a month would? And Andrew Yang was very honest in his answer in saying, you know, this wasn't something that he had considered. And about a month later, he actually amended his UBI program so it offered UBI on top of Social Security. Now, I'm in no way taking credit for that because this is a common criticism of UBI, of his UBI in particular, so I'm sure that he heard that before, but just the fact that he was willing to listen to criticism of his signature policy proposal and amend it to adapt to align with one of our biggest concerns, that really is impressive. Oftentimes, just from the standpoint of being a human being, when you get criticism, even if it's constructive, we are inclined to shut down. We are inclined to put up that barrier, to have cognitive dissonance and just accept that we're perfect and they're wrong. But what Andrew Yang has demonstrated is that he's a human being. He's authentic. And what he does is he listens and he genuinely adapts. And he's been adding to his policy agenda, you know, as the campaign went on, as he talks to more people. And I really find this commendable. And even if I still don't support Andrew Yang, and I don't necessarily agree with the way that he would implement UBI, because I don't want it to be used as a Trojan horse to gut our social safety net. I think it should be offered on top of all of our welfare programs. But nonetheless, you know, just what he's doing here in being a human being in adapting in his willingness to listen. I really hope that other people learn from Andrew Yang who are running for president and do what he's doing here. I'm looking at you, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Cory Booker, because for some reason, Democratic Party strategists, they still are instructing candidates to pretend like it's the 1990s and you've got to use your thumb to point so you're not being too overly aggressive and you've got to be rehearsed and have the person you know the perfect tagline with the perfect timing 
And those days are done. We are in an anti-establishment era where when you do things like this, you earn respect because you show us that you're a human being. You're not a robot. You are a human being and you are capable of being affected by the things that we tell you. That tells me that we can move you. We can get you to listen to us on a particular issue. Incredibly important. I hope that more candidates let their guard down in this way and follow Andrew Yang's lead here because this was such a touching moment. It was great. So as many of you know by now, billionaire pedophile Jeffrey Epstein was found dead in his cell over the weekend in an apparent suicide. Now, I'm probably the least conspiratorial person ever, but I think that it would be weird to not even think that the circumstances are absolutely suspicious. Now, of course, we don't know the details. It could have very well been a suicide. But when you are a billionaire who's a pedophile who is well-connected and may also have evidence or know about the crimes that other powerful, well-connected people have also committed, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that the entire situation, it, it stinks. It's incredibly suspicious. But I don't think we can really say anything definitively because, again, you know, we don't know the details yet. But what concerns me is whether or not Jeffrey Epstein's victims will get justice and whether any of the co-conspirators, that is, people who were friends with Jeffrey Epstein that also raped children on his disgusting pedo island, that they will be brought to justice. Now, at this time, it's difficult to say because this is all still very early, but let's go ahead and go to an article. This is from Chelsea J. Carter of CNN, and she talks a little bit about how the victims are responding to his death. She writes, the alleged victims of accused sex trafficker Jeffrey Epstein are angry they will not get the opportunity to face in court the men they say raped them as girls. We have to live with the scars of his actions for the rest of our lives while he will never face the consequences of the crimes he committed, the pain and trauma he caused so many people. Jennifer Arroz, who accused Epstein of raping her when she was 15, said in a statement, the multi-millionaire hedge fund manager's death from an apparent suicide Saturday in his cell ends the criminal case against him. But what does that mean for his accuser's quest for justice? Authorities have said they will continue to investigate Epstein's alleged actions and U.S. Attorney General William Barr said Monday the case will continue on against anyone who was complicit with Epstein. At the same time, legal experts say the civil cases against Epstein and anyone connected to the allegations in the case will continue. It is shameful that Epstein will not face justice and the survivors in this case will not have the satisfaction of his conviction. Scott Berkowitz, president of RAIN, one of the largest anti-sexual violence organizations in the nation, told CNN. However, reporting has made clear clear that there were others who aided and abetted Epstein in his crimes, and we hope that the U.S. attorney will continue to pursue those individuals. Epstein's death should not let them off the hook. Two unnamed accusers asked a federal judge to roll back a non-prosecution agreement that Epstein reached in 2008 in Florida, which provided immunity to his alleged co-conspirators, according to a court document filed Monday in U.S. District Court in the Southern District of Florida. Rolling back that agreement would identify the alleged co-conspirators, making it easier for authorities to investigate according to the filing, as well as make it easier for the two accusers to file suit. Now, it's so difficult to put myself in the position of his accusers here because on one hand, it would be incredibly terrifying 
to face the man who raped you as a child in court. That would be horrifying. But at the same time, you know, that's the best that you can hope for because that's your way of getting justice. That's kind of your way of getting closure. But now they don't get what they were hoping would give them closure. And look, people very close to me in my life, they've shared their experiences with me. And the way that they describe it is just, it's so horrifying. Like when you are raped, that person takes something away from you that you feel like you'll never get back. Like they take a piece of you away. And there's really no way to ever close that hole. There's nothing you can fill it with, you know. Um, oftentimes, it leads to people being depressed and having a lot of issues with mental health and even resorting to self-harm. But, you know, what you can hope for is closure in the form of justice. And these victims now, they don't get to see that in the, in the sense that, you know, he'll be prosecuted. So I absolutely feel for them. This is horrible. But what we can all hope for now is that anyone who was a co-conspirator who aided and abetted this disgusting pedophile will in fact be brought to justice. And it's difficult to say how this is going to turn out because William Barr is saying, well, look, here's the deal. We're going to allow this investigation to continue. But at the same time, Jeffrey Epstein was connected very closely to Donald Trump. There are videos of him where they were hanging out before. They go way back. So if this gets too close to the president... Will William Barr step in and try to stonewall? Who knows? There are also other very powerful people who were connected to Jeffrey Epstein, and we'll get to that in a moment. But in terms of what's going to happen going forward, well, on one hand, Jeffrey Epstein himself can't stonewall investigations, and the FBI does have more freedom to actually, uh, you know, they can dig through his properties, his personal filings, and what have you. And the FBI actually just raided his private island. But on another hand, you know, they can't use Jeffrey Epstein to extract information about other individuals. Very powerful, well-connected people. So I don't know what's going to come about, you know, this whole situation when it's all said and done. But there are very powerful people that absolutely should be investigated on both sides of the political aisle. Both sides. Investigate all of them question them, and if they're guilty, bring them to justice. Again, he hung out with Donald Trump, and Donald Trump indicated that he knew something because he made a remark before about Epstein liking girls that are, you know, much younger than him, or something to that effect. So Trump must know something. Look into Donald Trump. Uh, Bill Clinton, former president, rode on the Lolita Express numerous times. Look into him. Alan Dershowitz helped secure, you know, this sweetheart deal in 2008 with Alexander Costa. And in court, one of Epstein's abusers alleged that Epstein actually ordered them to have sex with Alan Dershowitz. Dershowitz should be investigated. Lawrence Krauss and Steven Pinker hung out with Epstein. Pinker flew on the Lolita Express. I mean, other powerful people connected to Jeffrey Epstein include Kevin Spacey, Larry Summers, Woody Allen, among others. So, I mean, every single person who was associated with Jeffrey Epstein, who rode on the Lolita Express, who went to that island where he was allegedly raping girls, where there were sex slaves, they all need to be questioned at a minimum and investigated. And um, this should not be the end of this investigation. And there are some signs indicating, indicating that it will continue. Either way, you know, this is absolutely disgusting. And the things that Jeffrey Epstein did... The damage that he caused to people's lives, the atrocities that he's committed, you know, 
these things can never be undone. They can never be undone. But at a minimum, these victims get justice. That's all that we can hope for. That's the best that we can hope for in this case. And part of that process means looking into very powerful, connected people who are associated and were associated with Jeffrey Epstein. And now all of a sudden, you know, people like Donald Trump and Bill Clinton are claiming that they didn't really know him too well. Look, look into them, investigate them, because if they were associated in any way with him, if they were involved in abuse, they should be prosecuted and imprisoned for that because it's unacceptable. So, you know, this is, this entire story is just, it's nauseating to think that somebody got away for that long with abusing women, who knows how many, uh, and, and not women, girls, like children. At the age of 15, you are a child. To think that he got away with that, and then he got a sweetheart deal in 2008, I mean, it, it's disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting, and it's why I have no faith in our justice system anymore. We live in a two-tier justice system where, you know, the poor, they are prosecuted, but the wealthy, they can commit the same type of crimes as poor people, and they get away with it. So, you know, am I hopeful that anything will come of this? No, because our justice system, it rewards powerful people who have money, who are well-connected. But do I still hope that there's some way that these victims can have a little bit of closure? Yeah, of course, I'm hopeful. But let's see how it all plays out. But all I know is um, this is just such a crazy story. And it's like we're watching a movie play out before our very eyes. That's how insane the details are. Well, that's all that I've got for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in if you've made it this far in the program. Um, as usual, I want to send a thank you to all of our Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube members for helping the show not just to survive, but thrive as well. Um, usually, I will record once per day, but this week I did everything just on one day because unfortunately that's all that my schedule w would permit, but hopefully you guys still enjoyed the show nonetheless. Um, kind of a return to our old format, but that's all that I've got for you guys. I will see you next week. Uh, my name is Mike Figueroa. Take care, everyone.